It's been a little while since we have been able to do a podcast. There's been a lot of busyness going on, uh, but we're looking forward to getting back into um, our podcast, looking at the life of Abraham. And today um, we are going to, I don't want to say skip ahead to Genesis chapter 22, but we're not going to look so much at the life of Lot. Um, I think Lot could be his own study. Uh, I think it's one of those that um, if we were to look at the life of Lot, we would uh, be able to um, have multiple podcasts on him because there is a lot of interesting things about the life of Lot. I know that we have talked uh, about him uh, up to this point. Um, Genesis 19, we see uh, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. We see Abram or Abraham that you know he tried before the destruction. He tries to intercede um, on Lot's behalf, and Lot and his family are pulled out. Um, we have the infamous um, story of Lot's wife, who uh, unfortunately looked back, and she ended up turning into a pillar of salt. Um, what we don't have is really any record of Lot after this. Um, we don't really have any mention of Lot after this story. Um, it's unfortunately a sad story in how that it ends. <clears throat> and um, it ends with Lot's daughters, unfortunately, uh, thinking, uh, as some commentators would say, that you know, with the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, they thought that the world, would, in essence, was coming to an end, or at least the world they knew was coming to an end. So they end up going and hiding uh, with their father, and um, they end up getting their father drunk. They get Lot drunk, and they end up having sex with their father in order to be able to um, have children because they're afraid they'll never have any children. And so, uh, unfortunately, Lot's life ends in a very... Uh, horrible situation um, with what happens with his daughters, and we really don't know of anything uh, of Lot after that. And then um, we're blessed to see the promise come true. In uh, with Isaac being born, we see that God is faithful in His promise, and He has uh, given. Abram, uh, Abraham and Sarah, the child that he promised them. And Isaac uh, grows up. They send Hagar and Ishmael away um, because Sarah uh, still uh, can't stand them. And so she wants to make sure that Isaac is the one who gets the blessing. And so uh, Hagar and Ishmael are sent away. And then you end up in uh, Genesis chapter 22... And this, I guess you could say, is probably uh, Genesis 12 and Genesis 22 are probably the most um, most well-known passages when it comes to Abraham. Um, It's these two that most people will know when it comes to Abraham, and that is you have the story initially in Genesis uh, 12 of Abraham and his call uh, from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and then Genesis 22 here where Abraham um, is commanded and asked to sacrifice uh, his only son, Isaac. 
And so, uh, as we have done up to this point, uh, I like to look at the humanity uh, of what's going on, and I don't want to stop that here. I want to uh, continue that, and then after we finish this podcast uh, uh, with Abraham, I'm going to, to give you a heads up on where we're getting ready to go in our studies of our podcast. We're going to continue um, studies of, uh, if you will, the human nature um, of what we see in Scripture, so I will uh, fill you in on what we're getting ready to do and where we're getting ready to go. And you can go ahead and kind of begin looking at some of that. And we'll have uh, a lot of enjoyment as we dive into that together. But in Genesis chapter 22, um, we start off here in verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I shall tell you. Now, I want to go ahead and put this out there immediately. And I know that this is where, you know, a lot of people will have, um, uh, this is where a lot of people, if you will, can have some issues. Number one, God does not want or require human sacrifice. In no way, shape, form, or fashion will you find a situation to where God is going to uh, glory in human sacrifice. Then there's where a lot of people will come in and say, okay, if God is never going to glorify in human sacrifice, then why in the world is he telling Abraham to sacrifice his only son? This is kind of sick and twisted. Well, what we have to do is we have to look at this from a deeper level, all right? And I think that that's why it's so important to be able to not just read Scripture for the sake of reading Scripture, but to be able to look at Scripture and dive into the depths of it and to understand the context of it from a full-scale perspective. If you are a person and you just randomly jump into Genesis chapter 22 you are going to have a really jacked up view of God because you're going to be viewing this God as, okay, what God that is so loving is going to ask uh, someone who is following him to take their only child up on a mountain and do human sacrifice in order to please him? The problem is, is if you don't fully understand the story of Abraham and what's going on here, you will never understand Genesis chapter 22. Now, what is the context that we need to be looking at Genesis chapter 22. Here, I I want you to write this down, if you will. We have to look at the context of Genesis chapter 22 from an untrusting Abraham. And what I mean by that is this. God has continually told Abraham, I love you. I want to make a covenant with you. I want to bless you beyond your wildest imaginations. I want to make your name great. I want to make your um, seed and your descendants as the sands of the sea. God has numerous times told him this same covenant and this same promise and this same reassurance over and over. And what we find is we find an Abraham who is consistently having trouble keeping his faith centered on God. 
Now, one of the things that can happen is that many times in our lives, God can, you know, we can trust in the promises of God and then all of a sudden God moves in a very powerful way in our lives. And it may, it may do an increase to our faith, if you will, if we just want to say it like that. However, it can also do enough damage to us to where we just kind of ride the waves of that and we forget letting God be the center of our focus and we forget letting faith be the center of our focus. And so what we do then is we fall more in love with what God has done for us than the God who does the things for us. And I think that that's what we could really talk about here with Abraham is that what is Abraham really valuing here? Is Abraham valuing God or is Abraham valuing what God gave him? And see, this is another one of those reasons why I think that the health and wealth gospel is absolute junk because they value all of the stuff. It's about the the cars and the houses and the money and the prestige and all of these different things. That's not at all what we see in Scripture. God wants us to value Him, not the things He gives us. He gives us the things that He does, and He answers the prayers that He does, and He gives us the promises that He does because He loves us and because He is an amazing Father. He doesn't do it because He feels like He has to earn our love or because He has to give us these things so that we will love Him. But however, He does it because He loves us. Now, with that being said, we can fall so much in love with the things of God that we forget about God Himself. I want you to listen to what Chuck Swindoll or Charles Swindoll says. He says in Genesis 22, it says it, uh, he reveals uh, this, this passage here reveals a man with a treasure so valuable and so cherished that it threatened to compromise his relationship with God. See, that's the context of how you have to read Genesis 22. You don't read Genesis 22 in light of human sacrifice. You don't read Genesis 22 in light of the fact that God is saying, uh, I, I want you to, to, to kill your only child that I gave you. What God is saying is, is this. He's saying, Abraham, I'm afraid that you are falling more in love with what you got from the promise than the one who gave you the promise. And that can happen to us very quickly. And so what God is doing here is God is making sure... Oh, this, is, this is a really important understanding. God is not trying to... You, and I'll use this word here, and I'm doing air quotes here, because I don't necessarily like this word. I don't think God is testing him in the sense that we have to look at it as God didn't know, okay? God is not testing Abraham because God is saying, hmm, I wonder if I give him the challenge of taking his son up on a mountain, what will Abraham do? God already knew what Abraham was going to do. Here's what we have to understand. God's not testing Abraham because God wants to know. God's testing Abraham because he wants Abraham to know. See, sometimes God takes us through tests and trials in our lives, not because he wants to see how we're going to react, but because he wants to know for, he wants us to know for ourselves. Here's another statement that Charles Swindoll said. He said, God doesn't put people to a test to see how well their faith responds under fire. He prepares te uh, uh, tests of faith to show us what He has made of us. Whether we pass or fail, we learn about ourselves. We learn where we need improvement or we discover how spiritually mature we have come. This situation here has nothing, and I know this is going to, you're going to say, well, then why? But, but hear me out. 
This passage has nothing to do with human sacrifice. This passage has to do with God saying, do you love me more for what I've given you or do you love me more? That's what he's saying. God is saying, I don't want you to look at the, that Isaac, the promise, the one that I gave you, as the one you're more in love with. Because if you're more in love with Isaac than you are with me, then you've got the relationship all wrong. And so that's why I think we've got to completely eliminate the idea of human sacrifice here because God is in no way, shape, form, or fashion asking that to be done. And so when we fully grasp and understand the context of what's going on here, then I think we can understand some things. Because I want you to think again about this last statement Charles Swindoll said. He said, whether we pass or fail, we learn about ourselves. We learn where we need improvement or we discover how spiritually mature we have become. What God is going to do here is he is going to put Abraham in a situation to where Abraham's finally going to understand that he has grown. See, if you remember up to this point, God has... Uh, Abraham has had a major issue in trusting God. When he went down to Egypt, he lied about his wife. Uh, he's lied about his wife uh, multiple times, as a matter of fact, saying it was his sister. He's, he's been fearful. He would go outside and just look up at the sky and say, you know, God, where are you at? I thought, and he had such a tough time with this promise, and he had such a tough time in his faith. But what we're going to see here is we're going to see a man who through all of these trials up to this point has been growing. And so when he comes to this point, God is going to say, all right, I really need to, I want you to know for yourself now how much you truly love me. I want you to see now that a lot of the doubt that you had previously, it's been erased. See, look here in verse 2. Take now your son, your only son, Isaac. Now, what's God meaning with that? Because he does have another son, Ishmael, am I not right? So why does God say his only son? Well, because this is the only son God promised. See, Ishmael was Abraham getting ahead of God. See, that's, that's where it's one of those little nuggets. Oh, underline that. Your only son. God says, yeah, you went out and done your own thing. But I wasn't in that. I'm in this. I'm in your, I was the one who gave you your only son. And so that's just that little nugget right there that's so precious in Scripture that God is reminding him, you did your thing, but, but I did my thing. Okay? And notice what he says, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. He split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God told him. So Abraham packs up and he rolls. Here, we don't see any hesitation. We don't see reluctance. We don't see resistance. We don't see argument. We don't see him trying to bargain with God. I'm just going to tell you, if I'm in Abraham's shoes, I've got two precious boys. My first one is 11 years old. My second one is five. If God in any way, shape, form, or fashion in my spiritual walk ever tried to test me with something like this right here, I'm telling you, it would take, I don't know that I would ever get up from the bargaining table. I would be, bar God, take me instead of them. God, kill me instead of them. God, put me as a sacrifice. I would do everything possible. But you don't see that here with Abraham. You see Abraham being very obedient like when? Like in Genesis chapter 12. Now, you say, well, Jeremiah, if you remember, you were all up in arms about Abraham not being obedient, that, you know, every time it turned around, he wasn't obedient to that command, but... He was willing to go. 
Some of the other details, like leaving his family behind and all that, yeah, he, he, didn't, he didn't do all that. And guess what? He suffered for it. But God said, I want you to pack up and I want you to go. I want you to go where I tell you. Take your son. Make a sacrifice. You don't see Abraham sitting here saying, you know what, God? How in the world? How dare you? After I waited, I mean, because here's the thing. This is a legitimate argument for Abraham. God, how dare you? I waited over 20 years. I waited over 20 years trusting in your promise that you were going to provide me a son. And guess what? You finally did, but you're going to ask me to, to sacrifice my son after I waited so long? I mean, Abraham has a legitimate argument. But you don't see him doing that here. Abraham takes everything that he's supposed to take for the sacrifice. And see, his son here, I mean, give or take, you know, there's, there's a lot of different commentators who say he's anywhere between the age of 12 and 16. Anywhere between the age of 12 and 16. Now, Abraham is an old man up to this point. So it's not like his son would have had a tough time getting away from him. It's not like his son would have had a a tough time in overpowering him, if you will. But what you find is that Abraham and Isaac are getting ready to go up here. And of course, you know, verse 4, Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar off. Can you imagine? Good gracious, can you imagine the, the sight of that mountain and the feeling in his heart? Oh my goodness. I mean, you talk about pterodactyls in your stomach. Forget butterflies. This was pterodactyls in his stomach. I'd say his heart sunk all the way to his toes. In verse 5, And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. Take note of the pronoun here. We will. First of all, we'll worship. The lad and I will go worship. We will go worship, and then we will come back. Both of them are first-person plural. So Abraham is saying, listen, now, now think about this. Goodness. Abraham is getting ready to go sacrifice in his mind. He's getting ready to go sacrifice his son, and yet he says, we're going to go worship. How in the world is he going to worship when he's having to give up the one thing he loves the most? Oh, I hope you just caught what I said. See, maybe if we start getting into the mind and the heart of Abraham here, Abraham is not going to give up what he loves the most. Maybe Abraham's getting ready to go worship who he loves the most. See, because Abraham says, me and the lad are going to go worship and then we're going to come back. See, there's a level of trust that we're seeing in the life of Abraham right now that we've never seen. See, Abraham hasn't trusted God up to this point. Abraham has constantly doubted God over and over and over and over. And it's like every time you turn around, it's just like, my goodness, Abraham, are you ever going to get it right? Are you ever going to quit doubting God? Every time you turn around, God reassures you, then you start doubting Him, and it's just like, my goodness, when are you going to actually trust in God? And right here we see it. We see Abraham looking at the men that's come with him and said, me and my son are going to go worship together. And then after we're done worshiping, notice he didn't say, me and my son are going to go make a sacrifice. 
He didn't say me and my son are going to go do this, or he didn't say anything about it. He said, we're going to worship. See, that's, that's a whole nother level. And then we're going to come back. And look here in verse 6. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son. And he took the fire in his hand and the knife, and the two of them went together. And then here comes the conversation. Oh, good gravy. But Isaac spoke to Abraham and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, son. He said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb? And notice what Abraham said here in verse 8. My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. I mean, this is as if we're seeing a completely different Abraham than we've seen up to this point. We've seen an Abraham that has constantly doubted God over and over and over, but now we're seeing an Abraham who... Can, can, I, can I just give a little, take a little liberty here? I believe you're seeing God flat smiling right now. I think God is sitting there and He's saying, this is the Abraham that I've been... I, I, I want Him to see Himself right now. I want Abraham to see himself as I see him. I believe God was, was, was feeling a proud moment there as a father does a son and saying, yes, he's getting it. The doubt has been removed. I hope that, I hope that Abraham is, is feeling the, the strength that is taking place in his heart right now. Oh, I hope he is. But see, that, that's, what, that's what oftentimes the enemy tries to steal from us. It's those moments that we're growing in our life and God is just doing some amazing things and then, you know, we don't, we don't recognize it maybe the way we should. And here Abraham is just, man, it's just like every time that he gets up to bat, he's hitting it. Look in verse 9. Then they came to the place of which God had told him and Abraham built an altar and there he placed the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar. As I, I, as I read that passage right there, I'm going to tell you, I, I tried to put myself in Abraham's situation and think what kind of feeling I would have if I bound my son, my oldest son, my firstborn, if I bound his hand and feet, and I laid him on top of an offering. And see, we got to understand this. Isaac is old enough that he knows what sacrifices are. We know that because he point blank asked his father. He's like, okay, dad, we got the fire. We got the wood. We got Where's the sacrifice? So Isaac knows what's going on here. It's not like Isaac is just this young little tiny boy that has no idea what's going on. He's a teenage boy who knows exactly what's going on. And I want you to think about something. First of all, I want you to think about the trust that Isaac has to have in his father. To allow his father to tie up his hands and feet and lay him on the altar and realize that when he's laid on the altar that he's the sacrifice. Think about that. Isaac didn't run away. It wasn't one of those things to where Isaac knew in that moment that he was going to be, you know, as, as his dad starts coming to him to tie up his hands, he's like, what in the world are you doing? I'm not it. You're not going to use me as a sacrifice. And Isaac could have took off running, and Ab- I promise you, Abram, Abraham would never have caught him. But he didn't. He, he, he allowed his father to tie him up. Now think about what would have happened 
I, and again, I, I told you I tried to put myself here. What would what would I do if I were to have my son laying on an altar, hands and feet bound, and that moment when my eyes connected with his? And my son is looking at me with just a complete lack of understanding. It's like, okay, Dad, you said that the Lord would provide. I mean, go back. Go back to verse 7. He looked at his son. He says, then he said, look, the fire and the wood are here. But where? Or this is when uh, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? In verse 8, Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. So Isaac is sitting here tied up. He's on the altar and he's just like, okay, Dad, what, what's going on? He's wondering if his dad has lied to him. He's wondering what in the world is going on. Why am I the one who's on the altar? Because an animal's supposed to be on the altar. And Isaac is sitting here, and I mean, you could imagine what's going through his mind. And he's looking at his father. And now imagine what's going through Abraham's mind as he looks into the eyes of his son. This promise that he waited so long for. And God is saying, I want you to give me that son. I want, I want, you, to, I want you to sacrifice. And again, it's not about the human sacrifice. God is saying, I want you to sacrifice what you love the most. I want you to sacrifice what you love the most. Can, can I tell you something? The reason why there's a lot of people who struggle with doing ministry is because they love their kids more than they love God. They won't go on mission trips because they love their kids more than they love God. They won't serve the Lord with the spiritual gifts that He's given them. They won't teach those classes. They won't do that ministry because they love their kids more than they love God, and they've they're they're investing in their kids more. There, there's some people that don't serve the Lord because they love their spouse more than they love God. They're afraid that if they go into ministry, that their spouse won't love them, or <clears throat> they won't go on a mission trip because they don't want to leave their spouse. They don't want to do this because they're afraid of what it would do to their marriage. There's some people that are unwilling to give up the wealth that they have in order to serve the Lord because they're afraid of having to go to the point of trusting in God to take care of their paycheck rather than being able to have a paycheck guaranteed. You getting what I'm putting down? See, sometimes there's some things in our lives that we love more than we love God. And, and let's, let's just be real. None of us are going to sit down and say, I love my kids more than I love God. Nobody's going to sit down and say, I love my spouse more than I love God. Nobody's going to say, I love my wealth or I love the security that I have more than I love God. You're not going to find people who's going to say that. The problem is your actions say that. And that's what God is doing here with Abraham. He's saying, Abraham, I want you to, I want you to know for your own self, do you love me more than you love Fill in the blank. And the reason why many of us are terrified of Genesis 22 is because we're scared to death that God would ask us to sacrifice the thing that we love the most in order to serve Him. But sometimes we need that because we're, not, we're unable to serve Him because we can't find that out for ourselves. See, many of us say, well, I can't do this ministry or I can't do this because I don't have enough faith. I think many of us might be surprised at how much faith we really do have. The problem is, is we're terrified of the test that proves our faith. This is the test, not for God to see Abraham's faith, but for Abraham to see Abraham's faith. 
Because, see, the, the real test of faith is not tying Isaac up on the altar. The real test of faith is verse 10. And Abraham stretched out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. I'm sure there was a long pause when Abraham tied up his son Isaac, looked at him, and was hoping and praying to God that he would see or hear something that would cause him to stop. But I believe Abraham took a deep breath. He grabbed his knife. And in that moment that his knife went all the way up and he was ready to come back down with it, it's when God provided the sacrifice. God took him all the way to the very point to show Abraham, you've you've got the faith. I want you to see how much you've grown. I want you to see how strong of a follower you are now. Because up to this point, Abraham has been built on lies and failure and doubt. But Abraham could not be the Abraham of faith that he is in Genesis 22, apart from the lies, the doubt, and the failures, because the lies, the doubt, and the failures is what strengthened his faith. It's what caused him to understand repentance. It's what caused him to understand mercy and grace. And I can promise you this, you will never be able to deepen in your faith apart from recognizing that your failures, that your moments that you have crashed and burned and you have had to repent and you have had to seek the face of God out and you have had to just wallow in His grace and mercy, you would not be where you're at right now apart from those failures. Your failures is what develops your faith. And if you are unwilling to, to embrace and recognize the failures that you have, you will never be able to embrace and recognize the faith that you've developed from your failures. You will never be able to pull the knife back. You will never be able to pull the knife back and kill the things in your life that you may love more than God unless you are deepening in your faith. And many times... That is the problem, is that people are absolutely too scared to have to go to that point, to go to those moments and find out where's my faith at. And I think that's why that Abraham is such an absolutely fascinating person because he's so relatable. He is, when I look at Abraham, I can really relate to Abraham because there has been so many times in my life that I have doubted God. There has been so many times in my life that I struggled with whether or not I believed. Uh, There's so many times that I struggled with whether God loves me. And it's because there's been moments that it's happened in my life that I have had these epic failures. And I've looked at myself and said, you know what? I don't love myself, so how in the world could God love me? 
And we do those things in our lives and we do it because we just, we look at ourselves and say, I know what kind of failure I am. The problem is, is God's, God's not wanting you to focus on the failure that you are or you have been. He wants you to recognize the failures that you've had and he wants you to deepen in your faith because of them. So what Abraham teaches us is this, don't sit and rest in your failures but recognize your failures and use your failures as fuel for your faith. Use your failure to say, okay, I recognize what I've done, but I'm not going to do it again. I'm going to deepen in my walk with the Lord and watch what God can do with you. And that's why I think it's so important to understand these people that we read about in scripture as actually what they are. They're human beings. They're not icons. They're not idols. They're not people who didn't mess up. I'm going to tell you, if you read the book of Genesis, it's just like watching days of our lives. These people are completely messed up. The lies, the deceit, all of these different things that are crazy. And guess what? Yet God still blessed them. Why? Because God never expected perfection from us. God knows that we're going to fail. But what God wants to do is He wants to use our failures to just... Make something so much better out of us. And so I pray that this study through the book of, uh, the, the, in Genesis uh, about Abraham has been something that's been an encouragement to you. Because I know it has been me. I know sitting here studying these things, I'm going to tell you, it's been a real encouragement to my heart. So I pray it has yours. And so what we're going to do is we're going to continue looking at some of these. But instead, what, I, what I'd like to do is to, to take a, a jump now and go to the New Testament. And what I'd like to do is I would like to do a study of what I would, what I would term lesser known people. There are so many people that are mentioned in the gospel accounts that are... If you want to just say the, the random people, the leper, the centurion and the sick servant, the demonics, the paralytic, Jairus and the woman with the issue of blood in that story. You've got all of these people who have these encounters with Jesus and there is a human story in every one of them. And so what I want to do is I want to start focusing on those human stories that we read about in Scripture. I want to focus on, we're going to start by looking in Matthew chapter 8, and we're going to look at the leper. And we're going to look at this story, because what we're going to do, we're going to look at five different things as we look at each one of these. We're going to look at the setting, first of all. We're going to look at the context. And then we're going to look at the spiritual dynamic and the human dynamic. Now, I believe that the spiritual dynamic and the human dynamic are two things that uh, completely intertwine. I think that you can't have one without the other. And so we're going to look at both of them. And then we're going to look at the, at the stories and say, how can this currently apply to my life? What can I do or how can I look at this and make it applicable to my life? Just like we've been doing here, uh, as I hope that we've been doing with Abraham and some of the others, we're going to do those same exact things with these people as well as we look in Scripture. So what I want to do is I want to encourage you to go read Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Write down some ideas and, and let's just kind of go through it together. Start trying to look at them from a human perspective and a human standpoint and see what you get out of it. And that's what I'm going to do. We're going to do it together 
And um, then we're going to, like I said, going to look at these five different things. So what I want to encourage you with is that if this podcast is a blessing to you, I would really appreciate it if you would write a review or if you would be able to um, give it a five-star rating so that way this can get out there a little bit more. Uh, I'd also like, if you could, to share it. Um, Share it with somebody that you know. Share it on uh, your social media platform or talk to people about it and say, hey, check this study out if it's been a blessing to you. Because here's the thing, if it's been a blessing to you, I'm, I'm sure it'll be a blessing to somebody else. And I'm not in this for the notoriety. I'm not in it for, for anything like that. I just do this because I love to teach God's Word. And so it's not about getting high ratings, but it's a matter of being able to get this out there so more people can hear it uh, and be blessed by it. Also, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, I encourage you to find someone today and talk to them. Find a good, solid, Bible-believing Christian and ask them what it means to be saved and what it means to understand that you're a sinner in need of repentance. And I also... Uh, encourage you uh, to be able today to go share the gospel with somebody. So again, thank you for all your support up to this point. Again, write a review, put a a five-star rating on this if it's been a blessing to you, Uh, whether it's in you're listening to it through Anchor or Apple Podcasts or Spotify or what other platform you're listening to. And we look forward to seeing you again as we get ready to go to Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, looking at the leper. Have a blessed day.